0: Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rodeuchin. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books to art to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. Today my guest on the show is Shireen Neshat, the Iranian-born New York dwelling artist whose work in photography and film over the past 30 years has addressed questions of identity and displacement, female subjugation, and the tension between reality and dreams. Described as a rock star of the art world for her many devoted fans, distinctive style and rebellious attitude, I sat down with her in Los Angeles where her major career retrospective at the Broad was just coming to an end. We talked about her love of film, her thoughts on Iran's attitudes towards women, her ambivalence about positive discrimination in the art world in the wake of the Me Too movement, and her new upcoming film project, as well as which, she named some of the things that inspire her. Shireen Nishap, hello. Hi. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: It's wonderful to have you here. We're recording at Freeze Art Fair in Los Angeles. but there's some noises going on above us. Is it your first time here today?
1: Yes, at Freeze today, yes. Los
0: Angeles no, I've been here many times. And how have you found the fair?
1: Well, I may be very honest with you as an artist. Ten fifteen minutes is the maximum I can spend at any art fair. And I generally try to avoid it, but from these few moments that I had, I saw really excellent work, really good quality work. So I have a feeling that uh, it's it's a very good fair this year.
0: You yourself have a, a large show on here at the Broad that's coming to an end this week. Um, it's an, an, and I went to visit it yesterday, and you know, absolutely amazing, very broad, covering sort of 30 years of your career and it's had amazing reviews and there are posters for it all over town wherever I've been driving around. I've seen your name and the poster. Um, How did it feel seeing all your work displayed like that and to have that amazing response?
1: I think that the exhibition at the Broad has to be the most significant um, event in my artistic career in terms of um, the way that it um, sort of created this survey from the earliest points of my artistic activity to to the latest, Um, and it's uh, it's really not only the largest, but I think one of the most intelligent ways of um, sort of uh, putting all the dots together from the film work to the still photography, um, showing the evolution of the work from self-portraits to groups of portraits to uh, videos that were um, very ritualistic to films that are more narrative with language. Um, So there's maybe even too much to see, but I'm really grateful because I feel like uh, for the very first time I got a show that I would have wished for, and I have no idea what happens in the future, but I I, I think this exhibition is like every artist's dream. And what's the response been
0: like? Have you had people who didn't know about you previously contacting you and communicating with you?
1: Uh, It's quite amazing for an artist who's been active for this many years. I have not really exhibited my work in LA before but also you have to remember that Los Angeles houses the the second largest Iranian community outside of Iran who had heard of that? my name, some of them, but had never really seen, and the LA art community, I think they really were unfamiliar. So I could well say that perhaps 80% of the people who came to see the exhibition saw my work for the first time. Uh, and I felt that um, the response on a grassroot level, even, you know, aside from reviews, was that some people, I think they were moved and that made me very happy. Mm-hmm. And
0: it's a retrospective show, um, and it also features a new work, Land of Dreams. Could you tell me a bit about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's very interesting because if you look at the very first rooms that you enter this exhibition, it's about me as an Iranian outside of Iran in America, looking at my own country and sort sort of creating this critique about the... Uh, revolution, the Islamic fundamentalism, about the role of woman in militancy, but really just staying back and sort of giving a perspective of an exilic artist. At the end of the exhibition, then you see that my lens has turned into the country where I live, that I'm not, uh, you know, it's not a place of origin, but it's a place that I've lived actually longer than in my own country. Uh, for the first time, um, giving my reading about a country that it's a home to so many millions of immigrants including myself that I find that it's a country like in Iran is going through a lot of crisis and I felt that um, this was actually very similar in approach uh, looking at the sort of political injustice, the idea of um, uh, the values that I love about this country, but the issues that I have problems with. Um, and through this film and this journey of, that took photography and film and video all together, um, creating a, a sort of a tapestry about America, that it is an, Ameri- an immigrant's perspective, and shows um, both the good and evil about this society as, it, as we're experiencing it today. So um, just like in Iran, in, the, in this one, I, I feel like an outsider looking and just sort of framing a lot of questions that happens to be personally affecting my life as well.
0: What is the significance of dreams for you?
1: Well, for a long time I've um, sort of developed this obsession about dreams because I come from a body of work that is very um, Politically pointed and charged, and often uh, reduced to very simplistic just uh, judgments. And at some point, subconsciously, I wanted to move toward magic realism, surrealism, dreams, um, because they're um, in this kind of nature of um, narrative or expressions. You really can remove yourself from direct judgments, because um, dreams, magic realism, not the logic of it, um, is so that you make reference to reality, but nothing quite makes sense. Um, You're innocent in a dream. You can't commit a crime. And you can't be criticized for a bad dream. Even if you kill someone, you're innocent. (laughs) So there's something about um, the quality of storytelling that one finds in the state of dream that um, that I really like. It gives me so much freedom. I feel naked. Uh, I feel truthful. I also feel that in dreams we can tackle issues that are about humanity and transcends specificities of different cultural boundaries. Um, And and I think in the land of dreams what I ultimately the protagonist finds as she collects American people's dreams and nightmares, she finds that they're not so different than her own as an Iranian. So I, I find this a point of commonality as human experience, our subconscious, and things that we fear today. Is the aim in some way to kind of find a
0: healing between the two countries who have famously had so much conflict for such a long time?
1: Or is that too simplistic? Well, I think really um, as this film sort of, it's pointed at this antagonism between the Iranian and American culture, obviously, um, and that ultimately it really becomes this... Um, this um, antagonism of two dictatorships, you could say two forms of tyranny, and the people become the target and the victims. In reality, um, we share very similar um, um, crises in terms of fanaticism, political injustice, um, racism, poverty, discrimination, um, and, and um, oppression in many ways in different degrees in both cultures. So what I, what I find interesting is that what this protagonist finds in common oddly enough is the, the two different people's dreams.
0: Now the podcast has a special format um, and I was hoping you could share some of the things that you wanted to talk about that have inspired you or given your life meaning in some way.
1: You know, I was uh, thinking a lot about um, this and obviously as an artist you expose yourself to so many things and only hope that you get inspired and somehow that sort of influences you in in your work. Um, I have different form of inspirations that I wanted to share with you. Um, I went to Egypt a few, actually right during the revolution in 2011 of the Arab Spring period, um, friends of mine and I, um, in Egyptian friends, decided to escape um, the whole chaos, the political chaos, and go to the Nile on a boat on the Nile, on the Nile. And because the tourism had stopped and basically no one was going, so it was extremely cheap. So we flew to Luxor and we went to Aswan. And I remember those few days on that boat where you look to the right and you saw temples and ancient, you know, structures. And then you look to the left and you saw birds and landscapes and villages. It was it was such a paradox coming from the streets and revolts and revolution and all the violence and all of that. to these moments where everything stopped, absolutely time stopped and you were only faced with the ancient history and nature and of, of course um, the air and the beautiful sunshine and, and there was something both melancholic and absolutely absolutely blissful to be in that state where you felt like you had died and you were in another space where you just didn't recognize. In fact, I've never been to that part of the country. I will never until I die, forget those few days where literally I felt that I was in a state of dream. And sure enough, we came back to Cairo and everything stopped. Other um, inspiration, I, I, I make a confession that I'm very obsessed with music, but there's particularly one Iranian singer whose name is Shahram Naziri and whose music I've used in one of my well-known videos called Turbulent. And I've had the pleasure to becoming his friend. In fact, I just saw him in Paris in December. But there is this one music that he and his son have created called Rumi Symphony. And every time I go to strange places like hotels or places where it's very impersonal, that I feel very kind of sad and feel out of place or feel lost. I know the remedy of, of getting myself back in a good place. I play that music and I told him that when I saw him, that there is something about the emotional outburst of these songs and this whole album that I don't even think the album was very successful because his son was experimenting, but every time I go somewhere new, that's the first thing I do, is I play that music because it brings me back to a place emotionally and spiritually where I need to be and, and just forget about the coldness, the, the, the feeling that I feel as a nomad, as I am, that makes me feel at home. It's funny because I wanted to
0: ask you a bit about that sense of displacement that yeah. you've spoken lot about in the past. Because um, you left Iran as a teenager in the 70s and moved to America. Um, and you've spoken about how the, the culture shock and how much you missed your home country. Um,
1: can you talk a bit about the
0: idea of loss and home?
1: Yes, I often think about um, people like myself who have lost the concept of home or a centre forever and probably will never experience being in a place that they look like everyone else and they speak the same language then their journey in this life becomes this one long process of adapting and adapting and adjustment you know to new languages to new weather to new food to new music um, and and uh, new people you know and that is good and bad the the bad about, about it is that you constantly have to reinvent yourself and therefore there's certain tools that I find that you learn is certain things that become constant like like I could have a ritual in my hotel room of that music or I could wear the same makeup or I could bring certain photographs or certain things that I travel with me that reminds me that some things are not going to change because that constancy gives me a sense of security, because to be very honest, I'm very vulnerable, and I fear sometimes being again in new place. I don't like being a nomad. It's just I don't have an option. So we... So I should probably just explain in case people
0: don't know. So you left to study in America, and then when you returned, it was after the revolution. So
1: yes, I, I left uh, by the choice of my father to study abroad in Los Angeles, actually, uh, and then in the process, the revolution happened, so I didn't go back for 11 years. Um, and then I started to go back several times, and then I had problems with the government. So then I haven't been back since 1996. So the world has become a home. Mm. Yeah.
0: And at the same time that you uh, um, that you returned to Iran, the most recent time you were there, um, you started to photograph yourself wearing the shadow. Um, I was wondering why you felt the urge to do that and what you felt it was expressing.
1: Well, it wasn't about the Chador. It was uh, really, um, I decided to, after not having made art for a good 10 years, um, I decided to focus and make a research about um, the Islamic revolution, like uh, the whole ideological, philosophical ideas behind this revolution, how it happened, how it developed. and. Um, how it adjusted within the Iranian society which was so opposite to that form of Islamization so then I reduced my whole focus to the subject of martyrdom the, the focus on how the idea the concept of martyrdom had become so popular and in even institutionalized during the revolution and of course this meant the people who were very religious people who were voluntarily religious including the woman who were very religious, and obviously, they didn't resist the idea of wearing the veil, which many people, all women had to wear the veil, but but a lot of people really welcomed it if they were religious. So the wearing of the veil was uh, me playing the role of the women who were extremely, like, let's say, fanatic, and and um, supported the Islamic Revolution, and some of them were actually militant. So the Sayers so of Women of Allah, was me playing the role of um, women that were voluntarily militant and participated in the revolution with arms. And me questioning um, this ideology that a woman who gives birth, who brings children to life, is willing to end life. And, and, And also the kind of ideology that puts you in this intersection of love of God Faith, self-sacrifice, to violence, obsession with death and cruelty. So that whole series was me not supporting or criticizing this ideology, but really questioning it. You see, and and me being simply a performer. I mean, this whole series has been discussed and criticized and analyzed in many different ways. But my intention was not to endorse the hijab or criticizing it. It's more. This is what the woman, the garment that the woman wore that were extremely religious to this day they do
0: mm-hmm. and just continuing with this theme of self presentation, I have to ask you about your own personal style as well. um you are known for being incredibly chic and stylish um but i w- I was interested to to know about how much you think about self presentation I mean as an artist um I think. I mean, for some artists, I know it's a continuation of their work is how they present themselves. Um, you, you wear a very heavy eyeliner underneath your eyes. Um, I was, to, to, to my eyes, it feels like you think about how you present yourself, and I was wondering if it's something you agree with.
1: Yeah, as I was explaining earlier about your other question, is that, um, you know, everything around me changes so much on a daily basis, and the future is so uncertain. Um, there there's certain things that I feel that is very important to me. That it gives me a sense of security, which is my own body, um, and certain things that I like to repeat, um, and my own style, and gives me a sense of confidence. Uh, gives me a sense of strength, um, and uh, it's like my art, where I feel like, you know, you can take everything away from me, but certain things you cannot take from me, you know, and that's my soul, and and I was. I'm a survivor, and I would... But I feel like it's always this kind of protective measure to build, even to the outsider, a persona who you want to be, even as you're aging or whatever, is that um, a certain protection, but a certain confidence, or certain strength. Um, I look at some other artists that feel that this kind of affinity, like Frida Kahlo. Um, I me mean, I don't think she was always very beautiful, but she definitely had a sense of style that first of all was inseparable from her art but I think again it you know it was it gave her a certain confidence I think, in who she was inside and her dedication to the traditional costumes and all of that. but for me' it's, um also I'm very. Western in many ways, but I'm also very Iranian. So by having makeup that is non-Western and wearing some jewelry that is non-Western at all, but wearing very minimal modern clothes, I feel that's that's who I am. Uh, that my style sort of also reflects this intersection of East and West and Occident and Orient. And, um, and so, yeah, it's the image that I feel that sort of reflects who I am inside and out. And do you feel comfortable personally
0: wearing a headscarf
1: when no. you have to? I mean, uh, let, let me take this back because, um, you see, I am very respectful of any society, any culture that has certain sort of restrictions that would be folkloric or religious, I don't mind. But, um, and I would do it for a temporary time. But I do think that wearing a hijab or scarf should be a choice. And I think I would have a difficult time living in Iran if I had to do it every day. But I have a feeling, like other Iranian women, they have so many bigger issues to fight for that wearing the scarf is the least, it's the bottom of their list. So I would say that if it was a question of being able to see my family again but having to wear a scarf, I would just wear the fucking scarf, you know. So it's it's a priority, you know, but it would be difficult for me f- to have to abide to certain codes. And can you just explain why you're unable to return to Iran at the moment? Well, it's not like I have some kind of a fatwa against me. It's a lot of Iranian people who really haven't done anything, but they feel terrified of returning. For me, I think um maybe not even my artwork, I would say, because it's far too conceptual for the, the government to be able to analyze, but I think I've been vocal in the media and have said things maybe that they find critical, um, and so for the safety of my family, I've just decided, and myself, uh, I've decided not to return for the moment.
0: And are you yourself religious?
1: I am in a very private way. I would say all the roots go to Islam because that's the religion I was brought up. Um, I do have my own form of private spiritual practice and somewhat Islamic. I still pray in Arabic you know when I need to. It's not a, a traditional practice, you know daily practice, but I do consider myself a Muslim uh, and in, yeah in, in a very private private way. What other things do you want to talk about? Well, I I wanted to say that as an artist, um, I've never been completely blown over by any work of another artist. But I have been blown over by filmmakers. And um, I remember once meeting a great filmmaker, Amir Naderi, and he gave me a list of films to see because I told him and I love it cinema. I want to make films. He said, "Okay, I give you a list of films and you see these films. But don't forget to write the date and the hour you see those films because your life would never be the same again." <laughs> and I honest to God I said he must be kidding me. In <laughs> this past, there was a retrospective of Andrew Tarkovsky in Lincoln Center in New York. And my husband, who's a big, you know, film person told me let's go see every film. I said, okay, I don't know. I heard these films are very slow, whatever, long, but I'll go. I went and my life was never the same again. I saw every single film in this retrospective and I came out and said, Oh my god, this can happen that honestly you're you know you feel so charged and excited that an artist could make something that you will never be the same and then i started to do this with um the polish director where they had a mini retrospective where i was glued to decalogue i'm not sure if you have seen i would never forget those moments then i did bergman and i saw his film so what i want to say was these filmmakers pulled me into their world in the way that everything gelled in terms of the poetry, the visuals, most of all the humanity, because you know my work had been more visual if I could say up to then, never about characters, about psychological dramas. But to be able to see that you can make stories that is visual that is poetic, but it's so meaningful. And it's so timeless and universal in many ways. So every time to this day I feel a sense of despair about my work of art or the art world as a whole, I try to go back to see some of my master favorite filmmakers because they remind me of the importance of being an artist.
0: And tell me a bit about your life today. You live in New York?
1: So, my husband Shoja and I live in Bushwick, Brooklyn, where we took a very beautiful old factory and it's been, you know, transformed into a living and working space with the garden. My my husband is really into gardening. And we have a beautiful dog and I, we both have a son. Um, and um, I work with a community of Iranian people in my studio, other than Julia, who is Italian. And so what I could say is that um, there is really a, a, I'm blessed with having a lot of friends who are also my collaborators and we spend day and night together basically in the studio and at night um, my husband is not a very social person so he's not coming out in the art world but he, he, we have you know our own way of enjoying life with a lot of good cooking, Persian food, and a lot of guests. Um, also, he's a filmmaker, so we are often working on scripts together uh, at home. So my practice on daily basis, um, it's sort of changes from Writing to doing calligraphy over the photographs to editing videos, um, you know, as I move between still photography to to filmmaking and and video, and so sometimes it's a bit, you know, hectic, but in generally I'm really happy because we have this beautiful surrounding and a great community of friends and collaborators that are like the closest people to me. So I may not live in Iran, but I have created Iran inside of Brooklyn. (laughs) Are there any Iranian restaurants in Europe that you can recommend? There is a wonderful new um, Iranian restaurant called Sofre that has become super popular in Brooklyn. Uh, A woman who I know, Nassim, um, is the founder and the main chef. And this is a restaurant that it's, I would say, a kind of a cutting-edge Persian food, but it's one-of-a-kind, and it's really beautiful. Um, it's not completely traditional, like my husband would cook, but it's excellent, fresh, <laughs> you should try it. I would. What's the traditional food that your husband cooks? Well, Iranian food is always a mix of different stews and rice. Uh, we don't eat a lot of meat, but small amount of meats, just cutting pieces in stews, which I like. Then, I think you may have heard that we all love Tadi, which is the burnt rice at the bottom of it, and so we're all fighting for the <laughs> Um My husband can cook anything and any Persian food that you like, but mainly uh, the biggest concentration is the stews and, and rice dishes. Yeah. Um,
0: what's the fourth subject that you wanted
1: to, to talk about? Um, okay, so I found in the last years that I tend to have fascination, obsession with iconic women artists, writers, and um, in many ways a lot of them who have had very challenging lives, uh, including Frida Kahlo, or I made a movie about the Egyptian singer Omar Um but most importantly is this poet called Furga Farah Saad, who died in when I was only seven years old, in I think 65 or something at the age of 31. But she left a huge legacy behind. She's single most important modern poet in Iran. But my fascination above and beyond her writings, her poetry, which is inscribed all over my photographs, and many of my images, in fact, um, are created because of her poems. In other words, I visualize her poetry, so I can't say enough about how integral her poetry has been with my work, but on a personal level. She was also a woman who had a son who she was separated from. She lived um, a very um, difficult life in Iranian society because she was unlike everyone else. She uh, left her husband uh, when her child was very young. She decided to devote herself to her poetry, to be a writer. Um, because she married very young. She had lovers. She wrote about her sexual temptation and um, desire, all of these that are tabooed even then in the Iranian society. Um, She wrote in the way that confronted God, which is absolutely tabooed. And she was considered a whore. Many people even considered she should die. It was like that. But then when she died, she became the biggest icon, not only because of what she stood for, but because of the power of her writing. But then I noticed that she, as this woman, with a child, one son, the woman, Sharnush Parsipur, whose novel I made into a movie, Woman Without Men, another writer who had a son, who she was separated from because she was in prison. But I got obsessed with her and I spent seven years turning her Book into a movie, Furug, and then Omukosun, another totally untraditional woman who never had a child but she adopted a son. So I'm obsessed and inspired by women who really question or or challenge, but the idea of career, their artistry, you know, full concentration in creative imagination versus being a mother, being a traditional woman, and playing all that role. And that that somehow becomes problematic and always backfires on them, because as if you cannot really be a good mother if you're a good artist, you know. And me, I have a son who I separated from my husband, and I raised many years on my own, and I'm always battling with this idea of my own humanity, my own feminism, my own responsibilities as a woman, uh, as a nomad, as, as someone who wants to survive the pressure of work but yet wants to be a good mother. So I seem to be looking uh, and ins- taking inspiration from other women artists that are far more iconic than me but have lived very challenging lives. Have you noticed a shift in the culture
0: in light of the Me Too movement that's happened over the last few years?
1: Yes, I. It's been. I have to be honest. Um, somehow, people seem to pay more attention to my work. There's truth to that. Even in the film industry, like, you know, I made two films that were both very feminist films. You know, one woman without men about four women, and then Omokolsun, which was a woman who was gay, and a woman singer, and and then suddenly after um, the #MeToo movement my films were invited to be shown, where before they weren't really invited. Um, so it's, um, it's a kind of a mixed blessing because I never liked to be um, you know, looked upon just because of my gender. Sort of positive discrimination, yeah. Um, and
0: you've, you've done so well over the years. I mean, you've won so many prizes, like including the Golden Lion at, at the um, Venice Biennale in 1999, and you won the Silver Lion. Um, sort of ten years after that for your film that you just mentioned, Women Without Men um, and you've got this big show at the Broad like we said um, what's next? So, do you still have ambitions?
1: Well um, I always um, say that um, you know there's tendency, I think in me at least, that you need to continue to reinvent yourself because the worst thing that could happen is you just repeat yourself or be known for a certain type of work and that's why I've gravitated towards cinema and opera I've directed an opera now I'm very busy with my third film which will be hopefully shot in the spring of 2020 which is the long version of The Land of Dreams And but it's very humbling because every time I embark on something like that which is usually a very difficult journey because we never have the money and it's very complicated even artistically to bring all the forces together it makes you struggle and makes you feel like a beginner and it makes you feel like you know really on the edge and i think that aspect of being on the edge all the time and never taking anything that has happened in the past very seriously it's really what's kept me on my toes because people say wow you achieved so much i never feel that successful and, and maybe it's not really just my ego. I think that I feel like I'm still a struggling artist in a, in a positive way. I, I always wondered if there are artists who don't struggle, if the money was always there ready for them, or they just went to their studio and painted every day. What is that like? I I'm definitely don't want to be one of those. Um, and therefore, I pick very challenging projects that are almost impossible to achieve, like the Woman Without Man or like the Oko Omakosum. So I I feel that um, as long as I continue, you know, challenging myself as an artist, I will be always fresh. And even as an older artist, I would be a beginner. I would be a young artist. You see what I'm saying? And I wouldn't be known for just my past work. Uh, And I see a terrible sense of stagnation if that happens, and I don't want that.
0: Before we finish, are there any other inspirations you want us to talk about? Or have you shared everything with us?
1: Well, the last thing I would say, I just came back two days ago from Mexico City, and um, you know, obviously I'm a huge uh, fan of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera, and I went to her house, which is obviously touristic. but one of the things that touched me the most is this museum that has been created by Diego Rivera um, that is built like a pyramid but it houses 60,000 ancient artifacts that he collected that he designed a museum and how it should be presented that it should never be loaned outside and no anthropologist can really um, curate it but only art curators can curate it it was so inspirational to see an artist building a museum and then deciding how to show ancient artifacts. It was absolutely stunning, and nobody was there looking at it. Instead, they were in the house of Frida Kahlo. (laughs) But I just wanted to say, I, I found that idea of artists creating museums, and especially of ancient artifacts, is a fascinating idea. And that's it. Thank you so much.
0: Shireen, thank you so much. <laughs>
1: it was a pleasure speaking to you. And good luck with your new movie. Thank
0: you. That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about 5 Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website. And you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man, and the hashtag 5 Carlos Place.